This is Harry James, famous American trumpet player. Some say Harry was actually Jewish. I'm not sure if that's correct, but trumpet playing is a very Jewish thing to do. Back in the ancient times in the temple, trumpets were blown quite often. In 1967, this stone was uncovered after the Six-Day War and excavations were being done in the old ancient city of Jerusalem near the Temple Mount around the wall at the southern corner, southern western corner, they found this stone under a pile of other large stones, which apparently which was knocked off the top of the wall and carved out, if you can look closely, and make out the letters Libet Ha Tekio to the chamber of trumpets to the chamber of blowing. Why would they blow trumpets in the temple? And what has this got to do with today's topic, which is called the Great Gathering? Here is a illustration of what this Great Gathering looked like in the temple. And welcome back to Lunch and Learn. It's Rabbi Heshi here, and great to be back after a long break over the holiday season. And we're back to studying Torah together, as we usually do every Tuesday at 12.15. We take 60 minutes or so to explore a topic from a Jewish perspective with a source sheet. We look at the real sources from Torah, from Talmud, from Jewish law, from Jewish Kabbalah, from mysticism, and it's great to be back. Today's topic is titled, The Great Gathering. We'll talk about the great gathering, what's this all about, and why this year on the Jewish calendar, 5783, 5783 is a very unique year. What is so unique about it? What's this great gathering? And we'll jump right in in just a moment. Let's begin with a blessing. Baruch Okay, as usual, we have a source sheet linked to this post. You can follow that and print it out or have it ready to follow along. Or if you are on our email list, check your email inbox. And let's get started. <clears throat> let's get started. So there is this word in Hebrew called kahal, kihila. Just want to say hi. Hi, Jody and Roy, hi, Jack and Mark and everybody joining on live and joining on afterwards. It's great to study Torah together. The word kehila. There is the verse we say Torah, 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 Tziva Lanu Moshe. We sing it with the Hebrew school children. Torah, Tziva, Torah was commanded to us by Moses. It is a inheritance for the congregation of Jacob of Israel. Kihila means congregation. Kahal, that was like the old word for, for uh, congregations, communities. Kahal, kihila. And that means to gather together, to congregate a community together was called a kihila. And similarly, we're, today we're going to talk about the great gathering, which is known as hakhel, to gather. Hakhel, from the same word as kihila, as we will see from the words of the Torah itself, from the description in the Talmud, in Maimonides, in Jewish mysticism, what this all has got to do with us. So, let's open our source sheet, the source number one. Let's take a look at Sefer HaChinuch. This was a book written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, though the author is, uncle it's unclear who the author was, what his name was. But he goes through the 613 commandments, the mitzvot of the Torah, and gives a short explanation to what is the idea of this mitzvah. And here's what he writes about this mitzvah called Hakel, the great gathering. As we move along, we'll have a better understanding of what we're talking about. Source number one, any man or woman who transgresses the commandment of Hakel. Their punishment is very great because this commandment is a strong pillar and great honor for the religion. So we don't like to focus on the punishment. Maybe we can word it as whoever fulfills this commandment has great reward. But from his wording, we see how important this mitzvah is. This commandment is a strong pillar. They're all 
kinds of commandments in the Torah, 613. But this one, and maybe some others, is a very strong pillar. It is one that supports the others. You have all kinds of parts to a house, but then you have the foundation, you have the pillars, the beams that are keeping everything up. And this mitzvah of hakel, of this gathering that's going to take place, is a very strong pillar and a great honor for the religion. So something that's a great honor for the Jewish religion and a strong pillar, we've got to know about this. This is important. This is a pillar. Source number two, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, on his 120th birthday, talks to the Jewish people. Of course, you know the joke, what do you tell a man on his 120th birthday? You say, have a nice day. What else can you wish him? It's his last day on earth. And similarly, Moshe Rabbeinu Moses, in the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Torah, tells the Jewish people, source two, today I am 120 years old. And God said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan River. He is talking to the Jewish people, his flock who he has faithfully led for 40 years in the desert. And he tells them, we're at the banks of the Jordan River on the eastern side of the Jordan River. He's still in Jordan. He had not yet entered into the land of Israel. And he tells the Jewish people, God is not allowing me to enter into the Holy Land of Israel. You shall not cross this Jordan River. Yehoshua, my disciple, Yehoshua, Joshua, whom we have studied about in the past, he will cross before you. Says the Talmud, Moses was saying, on this very day I was born, and on this day I will die. Today I am 120 years old. He lived life to its fullest, as did other great Jewish leaders like Hillel, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, and perhaps Ezra. Um, and Moses was one of them. He lived 124 years. And on the last day of his life, what did he do? He was talking to the Jewish people. As the Talmud just said, he says to the Jewish people, well, today I'm 120 years old, and today is my birthday. Today he actually passed on the day of his 120th birthday, 124 years. What did he tell the Jewish people on the last day of his life? What was his last message? Or one of the last messages, source number three, this precise mitzvah, the mitzvah of Hakhel. It's counted as mitzvah 612. Mitzvah 613 is to write this whole Torah, to write the Torah scroll. But the last mitzvah besides that is 612, this mitzvah of Hakhel. It's the last mitzvah that Moses is telling the Jewish people. And he waits to tell it to them until the last day of his life. And later on we'll see why. He could have told to them in the past 40 years, but he waits to the last moment when he is notifying them that his life is up. It's the last day of his life. And he says, now it's important for me to tell you this last mitzvah. Source number three, what is this mitzvah? At the end of every seven years, Moses, of course, is relaying to the Jewish people the commandment that God Almighty is telling him. At the end of every seven years, on the festival of Sukkos, after the year of release, if you recall, we studied about the year of Shemitah a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, uh, the seventh year, the sabbatical year, just like, every se- just like every seventh day of the week. The week starts with Sunday in the Jewish calendar. And the week ends with Saturday, Shabbos. The seventh day of the week is always holy. Similarly, every seventh year is a special year. It is the year of Shemitah when we let the land lie fallow, we don't work the land, especially in Israel, only in Israel, it's called the year of Shemitah, and we discussed the details of that in a previous lesson. But this is at the end, the year following the seventh year of the cycle, which is technically the first year of the, of the new cycle, maybe it's called the eighth year, the year following the seventh year of Shemitah, says the Torah at the end of every seven years on the festival of Sukkot. When in that year? The beginning of the year. Two weeks in, on the festival of Sukkot, which is a couple of days after Yom Kippur, after the year of release, when all of Israel comes to appear before God in the place He will choose, right? We don't know yet. We're still in the desert. Moses is telling them eventually there's going to be the place in Jerusalem which God will choose as His eternal home. What should you do 
on the festival of Sukkot following the year of release, the first year of the new cycle, maybe the eighth year after the seventh year, you shall read this Torah before all of Israel. Assemble the people, the men, the women, and the children in order that they hear and in order that they learn and fear God. And they will observe to do all of the words of this Torah. There you have it. The mitzvah of Hakel et Ta'am. Gather, assemble the nation, the entire nation, the men, the women, the children. This is in addition to the yearly obligation for at least the men to uh, pilgrimage, to make a pilgrimage, to go up to the temple on the festival, on Pesach, on Passover, on Shavuot, which commemorates the giving of the Torah and the Sukkot holiday, three times a year to visit the temple. But this was in addition to that, not just the men, not just certain individuals, every Jewish man and woman, child alive, unless they were ill and couldn't make it, but generally every person was to be there in the temple on this time, every seven years, the year following the Shemitah, the year of release, the beginning of the eighth year, the beginning of the first year of the new seven-year cycle. On this holiday of Sukkot, every individual should be there. The great gathering. And what should be done there? This Torah should be read. Parts of the Torah should be read. And that will inspire the people as they stand united together in the temple. Everybody being there, their entire nation. Source number four, some more details from Maimonides. The reading was held in the women's courtyard, which was, as we see here in this um, illustration from a place called the Temple Institute, which tries to visualize to us some of the ideas that we study about that was going on in the temple. This was the women's courtyard. It was the courtyard where there were places for the women. You can see here on the balcony uh, with the women, and down here are the men. I don't know where the children are, somewhere between the men and the women, and they're gathered together, and in the courtyard... Uh, this section of the temple is where this gathering would take place. Take The king would read while seated. He would read the Torah while he was seated on in the center. He starts from the beginning of Devarim. What would he read? This Torah, the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, the fifth book, and he would read certain passages of it. These are the words. He would start from the beginning and until the end of the passage of Shema. Shema Yisrael, which we, in which we proclaim our faith. In the one almighty God, he then skips to the passage of Ahayaim Shema, which is the second paragraph of the Shema, which refers to, which talks about our acceptance of God's commandments, not just accepting God as God, but now that he is God, we're going to do what he says. And then he skips to the passages of the tithes and other passages of blessings for us if we follow the Torah. And he reads basically some important passages from the book of Deuteronomy in the presence of all of the members of the Jewish nation. This is the mitzvah. We'll see some more details a bit later on. But that is the gist of the mitzvah that every seven years this shall be done. There shall be this great gathering. And let me tell you that this year, 5783, on the Jewish calendar is that such year. Because last year was the year of Shemitah. It was the sabbatical year. So this year is the year of Hakel, the year in which this great gathering would have taken place in the temple. So the Jewish people get this mitzvah from Moses before he passes the last day of his life down here in this world. Well, Joshua takes over. He leads the Jewish people across the Jordan River. They settle the land of Israel. It takes 14 years, seven to conquer, seven to settle. And then they, get, they, start, get, they start working the land. And they start counting. One, two, three, four, five, six. And the seventh year they sanctify as the year of Shemitah, the year of release, where they let the land lie fallow and the subsequent year, year number 22, since their entry into the land is observed as the Hakel, and every Jew gathers in the temple. At that point, it wasn't yet in Jerusalem. That only came later at the times of King Solomon. At that time, it was in uh, Gilgal, or later in Shiloh, Shiloh. But they fulfilled this commandment. And for hundreds of years, as the Jews lived in Israel for 850 years consecutively, until this destruction of the first temple, this mitzvah was observed. As the verse tells us in source number 5, all the people of Israel assembled 
themselves unto King Shlomo, King Solomon, in the seventh month. The seventh month is the first month of the year. The months get counted from Nisan, from Passover, which was the month of our Exodus. So all months are counted since Exodus. And in the seventh month, in the month of Tishrei, the holiday of Sukkot, they all gathered into the king. They didn't just gather to the temple. They gathered to hear the words of the Torah being read by King Solomon during the year of Hakel. Continuing in source number five, the words of Koheles, one of the books of the Torah, is the one of the twenty-four books is the book of Kohelets. These are in the writings. Now we have the five books of Moses, we have the books of the prophets like Joshua, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and then we have the Ketuvim, we have the scriptures like Psalms, like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and one of them is Kohelets. Ecclesiastes, excuse me, that's the translation in English. And this book opens with the words, These are the words of Kohelet, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. What does he say? All is vanity. The end of the matter is, fear God and keep his mitzvos. For this is the entire man. This is what man is all about. Says the Midrash, why Kohelet? Why is he called Kohelet if his name was Shalomo, Solomon? Why is he referred to here as Koheles? Because Koheles, Kihila, Hakel, all have the same root of the word. His words were stated in an assembly. The words of this book, or this book is the recording, the transcription of his oral talks that he gave to the Jewish people during that the assemblies of every seventh year. He reigned for 40 years, King Solomon. So you had... A couple of uh, every seventh year, there was another Hakel where the king, King Shlomo, would address the entire nation. There was no Zooms and no live streams. The once every seven years, the king would address the entire Jewish people present in the temple and read passages of the Torah and perhaps, and uh, um, evidently, According to the Midrash, he would also inspire them with words of wisdom. King Solomon was the wise man. He once studied about King Solomon in a previous lesson. And he would share his divinely inspired pearls of wisdom. And they were uh, written up in the book of Kohelet. So he's called Kohelet because these, these words were said during the Hakil gathering. So we have evidence that King Solomon, 300-400 years after the Jews entered into the land of Israel, they were observing this commandment. And so to other kings, we have King Yoshiyahu, King Yoash, or other references where the Jewish people kept up this mitzvah. And even after the destruction of the first temple, and they went into exile for 70 years into Babylonia, under the Babylonians and under the Persians, and then finally after 70 years they were granted permission to go back up to Israel and rebuild the temple, which they did led by Zerubbabel, later Ezra and Nehemiah, which we hope to discuss in a later lesson about Ezra. And that period in time, Ezra also gathered the people, as we see in six, source number six, the people gathered as one man. And they said to Ezra to bring the scroll of the law of Moshe. See, Moshe, on the day of his passing, he actually wrote a whole Torah scroll. Can't figure that out in the commentaries. I believe discussed that how did he manage to write a whole Torah scroll, which usually takes about a year uh, for a trained scribe or close to that to write an entire Torah scroll, which has about 250 columns. Um, but Moses wrote a, a Torah scroll and he gifted it to the Kohanes, to the tribe, the Levites, and it was placed in the temple right in or next to the Ark of the Covenant, which had the Ten Commandments and the, uh, written on the inscribed, engraved on the tablets in the Holy of Holies and that scroll was taken out and it was that exact scroll that was used for the king to read only at the Hakel gathering once in seven years. And in the times of Ezra, apparently they still had that scroll or at least one very identical, identical, which God had commanded Israel. He read in it in the presence of the men and the women and usually... Many women would stay home. Maybe they were with the kids. Maybe they were taking care of the home. Uh, but at this time, once in seven years, every Jewish member of the nation was there. So that is our first section, which uh, sums up what this mitzvah is and how important it is. We'll soon see why exactly this is so important 
And what has this got to do with us today? Because today this mitzvah is not observed fully the way it was done then because we don't have a temple. Even if we were somehow to get onto the Temple Mount, um, we can't really, even if it was safe, because to, to hold a gathering there and a, a sort of a ceremony, because we are impure. We're ritually impure. We have to be purified by the ashes of the red heifer, which you don't have. We need a temple for that. So we don't have a temple. We don't have a king. You know, the prime minister or president of Israel is not, does not suffice to be a king of the entire Jewish people. And uh, we don't even have the Shemitah, the, rele- the year of release. It has to be in the year following the year of release. And we don't have that 100% even in Israel today. So for many reasons, this is not observed. Uh, we don't have this great gathering, gathering of all of the Jewish people today, the way it's done, the way the Torah instructs us to, but that's not in our hands. But nonetheless, the idea of Hakel, the objective of Hakel, and the inspiration of Hakel is still relevant today, especially during this year, in which this gathering would have taken place in the temple. So, Join me as we explore what can we learn and how does this impact our lives. So let's talk about uh, trumpets. Once again, um, this guy, Harry James. I don't know. Do you know if he was Jewish? I saw somebody claiming that he is Jewish. He was Jewish. He was a very famous trumpet player. But getting back to, uh, to the temple. So in 1967, after the... Old city of Jerusalem was re, I guess, back into Jewish hands, Jewish control, and they started to clear up the, the Kotel, the Western Wall Plaza, as we have it today. And if you've ever visited uh, the southern excavation, we all know the Western Wall, but the southern wall is pretty much intact as well. And there's some amazing findings there. And this is one of them. Right at the corner, they found this. Stone which says and carved out libet hatekio to the chamber of blowing. Now we have recorded in our mission and our teachings about two thousand years ago, written down that uh, trumpet blowing was very essential, very a uh, part of Jewish life. Uh, even Moses' times in the desert, he had trumpets to gather the people. That was the way. There was no text going out. Um, they didn't even have beepers. They had trumpets. It was used for a variety of reasons. For example, on Friday afternoon, it was time to let everybody know. Not everybody had a watch. And uh, people were busy doing work. And there was a couple of trumpet blows that went out onto the marketplace. And apparently this stone that they found was right there up on the corner of the temple uh, yard. Temple... um, compound up there where the Kohen had this little chamber or a little area where he would blow the trumpets to notify the people down below in the marketplace. And you can still see some of those um, marketplace booths that are still visible today from Roman times when the Romans... um, ruled Israel, and he would blow these trumpets to remind them that it's time to close up and get ready for Shabbos. But today we'll talk about how these trumpets were also used to gather the people to the temple for this great gathering of Hakel. If anyone has any questions, feel free to interrupt or post it in the comments. Oh, I see. Hi, Mark. It's great to have this hour back. You go down here. Hello, Vicky. <clears throat> Let's take a look at source number seven. Source number seven. Trumpets are sounded throughout Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, to gather the people. A large wooden platform is brought and set up in the center of the women's courtyard. The king ascends and sits on it so that they will be able to hear his reading. This is on an elevated platform. And all of the Jewish people gather around him. Who were they? Who were sounding these trumpets? Going around the city, it says on every gate, on every intersection, wherever, every area where 
public people, people were in the public, they were blasting these trumpets, getting everyone's attention. And once in seven years, that's not very often. This is amazing. This is a very special experience. And everyone was to be there. So they found out, source 8, the Tosefta tells us, the Kohanim, the priests, the Kohanim, the descendants of Aaron, fan out across all over the city of Jerusalem and blow golden bugles to assemble the nation. One without a bugle appeared to not be a Kohen because each Kohen was a necessary component in spreading the word. If somebody would see a Kohen, hey, I thought you were a Kohen, where's your trumpet? Oh, you must not be a Kohen. Because every Kohen was tasked with reminding the people it's time to gather in the temple courtyard, which was an amazing miracle how millions and millions of Jewish people, Jewish people were about three million when they entered into Israel. This was hundreds, continued to go on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, there were millions of Jewish people and miraculously they gathered, whether they all fit in the temple, or maybe they fit at least close to the mountain, as, as close as they can get. How were they reminded that it's time to gather? Through trumpets. Why trumpets? What is unique about trumpets? And why the Kohens? Actually, the Tosefta says that the inhabitants of Jerusalem made a lot of money because they, they would rent out their golden trumpets for one dinar. And whoever owned the gold trumpet, you know, I guess it was maybe difficult to bring it from home. Uh, not every Kohen uh, needed to always have it, so they would just rent it for the day. That way, the people, residents of Jerusalem, made some money. So, source number nine, just in a little more details here, before we talk about why trumpet, the attendant. So, the trumpets are being blasted. You can imagine how noisy it was. You know what they say. How do you know that a, a trumpet player is at your door? When the doorbell shrieks. So you can imagine how noisy it was. But that really woke everybody up from their naps or whatever they were doing. It's time to gather. And they would assemble in the temple. And the attendant would take the Torah scroll and give it to the head of the synagogue of the temple. He would give it to the Segan who was the runner-up to the high priest. Who would give it to the high priest, the Kohen Gadol. Who would give it to the king. This was all to show reverence to the king who is going to read the Torah, it's being passed from one level to a higher level until the king himself receives the Torah and reads the Torah. Now, interesting piece of history. We, we talked once about the ten lost tribes. The Jewish people were split into twelve tribes, the twelve tribes of Jacob, um, and they lived separated sort of each each tribe's descendants had their own territory into the land of Israel in the land of Israel and their own representative uh, at one point um, now the first few kings that ruled over the Jewish people King Saul Shaul and King David and King Solomon ruled over all of the 12 tribes as one but after King Solomon passed his son Rehavam um, made some not such good decisions, and there was a split in the kingdom. Rechavam was in Jerusalem, where the temple was, and he ruled over Judah and Benjamin and most of the Kohens and the Levites. But then there was a man named Yeravam, or Jerobam, who was from the tribe of Ephraim, who was the son of Joseph, and he ruled in the north over ten of the tribes. And eventually, you know, this kingdom was divided, and... those ten tribes were more steeped into idol worship more than the southern kingdom and they were exiled by the Assyrian king named Sancherev from Israel and most of them did not return. Most Jews today come from the remaining tribes from the Judean king, the king that ruled in Judah and was from the tribe of Judah and they were the ones that were exiled by the Babylonians sometime later and returned for the second temple and uh, are, are the ancestors of most Jews today. So, how did that actually start? It had to do with Hakel. It had to do with this great gathering. How, or one important aspect, what led to this great divide and uh, idol worship of the ten tribes, which led to them being exiled before the other 
parts of the Jewish people. Source 10, Yeravam, the new king of the ten tribes in the north, became king at the end of a sabbatical year. It was the year of release, the end of the seventh year. And in a couple of weeks, it's going to be Hakel. And every Jew is going to make their way to the temple. And what a second, one second. Who's in the temple? Who's the king in Jerusalem? That's where his opponent... Rechavam, king of Solomon, was the king. That's his uh, area. That's his territory. He said, if I am asked to read, I have to stand. If I'm going to be honored to read the Torah, I know what one of the kings is going to read. If it's me, I'm going to stand. They will say the local king has precedence. Oh, one second. You're reading. Uh, don't start reading. The local king, Rechavam, he gets to read before you. But if I'm reading a second, it's a shame for me. It's going to be degrading. If I do not read, if I just say I'm not reading, then it's also a disgrace for me. Why, why isn't, the, isn't he the king? So and if I let them go, if I just don't go and let everybody, all my um, citizens of my kingdom go up to Jerusalem, they will ascend desert me. They'll see the king Rechavah, they'll be in the temple, and they'll just follow him. They'll desert me. They will go to Rechavah, son of Shalomo. What did he do? So he came up with a plan. He made two golden calves. He had this whole system. He blocked, put guards and roadblocks blocking the Jews from going up to the temple in Jerusalem. And he came up with an idea. He built himself another kind of temple and which eventually led to um, idol worship. He put up two golden calves. And he is considered one who not just sinned, but he caused others to sin because of Hakil. Hakil was part of this division. The reading of the Torah by the king. What is the message of the trumpet? In Hebrew, the word for trumpet is chatzotzra. Chatzotzra. That's the word for trumpet. Now, this word chatzotzra comes along the Hasidic master. The Magid of Mezrich was the disciple and successor of the Baal Shem Tov. And he says chatzotzra can be broken down into two words. Chatzo. Chatzai, chatzi, which means half. Tsura means the form, a creation, half a creation, half a form. The trumpet means half a form. What does that mean? Says the Magid of Mizrich, source number 11, the Jews and God are like two halves that are complete only when united. We're not complete without God in our lives. When we follow His mitzvahs and our body to and use our body to serve Him, we become united. A Jew without Torah, a Jew without God, is a half a form. The Kohanim helped the Jews become closer to God. The Kohanim's job, they were from the tribe of Levi. They didn't work the land. They were the teachers. They were the preachers. They were the inspiration for the Jewish people. They worked in the temple. They were God's representatives. Their job was to help Jews come closer to God. So the Kohanim were charged with taking trumpets, taking something which means half a form and telling the Jews, it's time to gather it's time to be inspired, to recommit ourselves to the Torah, to hear the king reading the Torah. It's time, continuing in Source 11, the trumpets were a message to them. It's time to reassess our relationship with God. We're, we're only a half a form. You want to be complete. You want to fulfill your potential for which you were created. Come to the temple, hear the Torah. Be inspired to recommit ourselves to the Torah. Otherwise, we're just a trumpet. We're a half a form. In Hebrew, chatzotzra. Source number 12. We all have a trumpet. We may not have this great gathering today, and we may not be a Kohen. We may not be the king reading the Torah, but we each have a trumpet. We have a way of inspiring others. We have a way of waking people up and telling them it's time to hear the Torah. A means to spread a message. Hakil year is an auspicious time to use our trumpets to broadcast Jewish messages. We are all needed in the marketing campaign of Judaism. If there was a Kohen who didn't blow the trumpet, they would say, hey, you're not a Kohen. Each Kohen was part of this campaign. Each of us can be a Hakil 
trumpet. We can use our trumpets. We can have, we have influence on our family, on our colleagues at work, at our friends, at our neighbors. And we have trumpets. We have ways. Maybe we don't have to make too much noise with a trumpet, but we can make noise by posting Jewish things and good, positive, moral things on our social media. Uh, We're at a family party, at a gathering. Get up and say, this year is Hakel. This year is a year of gathering. And as we will delve into right now in the third section, this year of is a year of reassessing our relation with God. We're only a half of a form if we don't have God and spirituality in our lives. We can each take part of Hakel. Source number 13. You know, there's a website called Sayu at Sinai. It's a Jewish dating website. I think it's more of a Shadchan bait, you know, like they have these matchmakers that help you find the right match. Sayu at Sinai. Why is it called Sayu at Sinai.com? Because Every Jew was at Sinai. When the Torah was given to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, every living Jew was there. And the Midrash tells us that every future Jewish soul was present there. So, you meet a Jew, I saw you at Sinai. Probably saw you at Sinai. Our souls were together at that great gathering. And that great gathering is the most greatest time of our history when our religion got started, I guess. When we were given the Torah and the Jewish people accepted and God himself, God Almighty, has descended onto the mountain and revealed himself to the Jewish people. It wasn't just one man or two men that had the revelation. Every Jewish man, woman, and child was there and witnessed this. And they told it to their children. And they told it to their children. Just like George Washington, uh, the way we know about him is because many people saw him and they told their children, they told their children. That's how we know about Mount Sinai. And the Torah tells us to pass on the memories to our children, to future generations. Source number 13, watch yourself very well, lest you forget the things that your eyes saw. This was 3,334 and a half years ago. And yet we're still talking about it because we heard it from our parents and teachers and they're here from them back to Mount Sinai. The day you stood at Horeb, which was another name for Sinai, when God said to me, Moses is telling the Jewish people, assemble the people and I will let them hear my words. That is something we remember every single day. Actually, after our morning prayers, we say, let's remember in Hebrew, Zachor, Yom, Asher, Amadita, the day that we stood before God Almighty at Sinai. That wasn't just, okay, here's the book. Here's the Torah. It was a Amazing experience to stand united with all of the Jewish people, not just in your own tent, not just in your own tribe. Every Jewish man, woman, and child were there together as one. It's electrifying when you stand in a big crowd. You know, you can you can watch uh, the you know the new president being sworn in in his inauguration, or you can be there and person there's something there's some sort of feeling you can watch a movie you can go i guess with many people or watch a game or be there and feel the energy lots of people it's very you can give many examples you can watch the queen's funeral or be there in person and the havdil if we can say um, you can hear about mount sinai or you could actually be there and god wants people to actually experience it not just to hear about it. Now, Mount Sinai's revelation is not going to happen every day. That's once in a history, you know. But, God says, to in some way reenact, to re-experience for the future generations who do not remember and who were not there in person at Mount Sinai and don't even see Moses. You see, this is why Moses, Moshe tells the Jewish people on the day of his passing, he says, hey guys, you know, as long as I'm alive, I can tell the Jewish people, I was there. I was there on Mount Sinai. But Moshe says, today is my 120th birthday. Today I'm going to die. And if I'm not here, then it's important for future generations to re-experience that in some way. That electrifying feeling of standing with every Jewish man, woman, and child together, united, and hearing the Torah as a group, as a community. This is a joint effort. You know, being Jewish is not just a thing we do at home. This is community. This is a family. This is a nation. Says Moshe, today I am telling you, but as I am notifying you of his passing, Moshe says, 
every seven years, you know, every year it's going to get too uh, used to it. It's going to become ordinary, routine. Once in seven years, do this. Gather every Jewish man, Jewish woman and child for this soulful experience. Source number 14, in the words of Maimonides, they are obligated to concentrate their attention and direct their hearing, listening with reverence and awe, rejoicing while trembling as on the day the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. He's describing the Hakel gathering and he's saying it's as on the day the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. One who is unable to hear, what if they're too distant or they're deaf, should focus his attention on this reading. For scripture established it solely to strengthen the true faith. He should see himself as if he was just now commanded regarding the Torah and heard it from the Almighty. For the king is an agent to make known the word of God. So every seven years it was this reliving of the Mount Sinai experience. Source 15. It was not just about the mind. The king wasn't just there to tell them some intellectual pieces of information. It was about the soul. Even the greatest sages were present. Even though they were fluent in what would be read. They don't have to hear the Shema. We, they said it every day. and They studied the Torah. Yet the greatest sages were present. For this was not a lecture or a refresher course. This was a trip. Hakel was the communal reenactment of Sinai. It made things real again. When everybody gathers together, there's something emotional. There's something amazing about that. It makes things real. We're not just hearing about it. We're experiencing it. A class is best taught by an expert teacher. They didn't hire the best teacher to talk to the Jewish people then. Because this was not about a class. This was not about information. This was not for the mind. This was for the heart. This was for the soul. The awe of Sinai is best reenacted through the word of a mighty king. And that is why the king was the one that was given this mitzvah. Well, Yehoshua, Joshua was the first king of the Jewish people. Even though it wasn't exactly the kind of king of later generations. But he was the leader. And that's why it was the king who would read the Torah. And specifically, after the seventh year, the sabbatical year, because the whole sabbatical year, people were not working the fields, they were learning Torah more, and now they were set, it's after the Sukkot holiday, now they're set to go back to the fields. Source 9, the nation is ready to head back to the fields and orchards, but first they gather for a dose of inspiration to tide them over for the next six years most of which will be spent in business endeavors. And sometimes you can get distracted and caught up in working the field and business and so many other things that life throws at us. Right before that, they say, let's give ourselves the last boost. The whole year was a sabbatical year. Now let's gather as one for this magnificent gathering and recommit ourselves, feel as part of the entire Jewish community and hear the king reading the scroll that was written by Moses. And that will help us keep focused over the next six years to realize, yes, we got to work the land, but we're here on a mission in this world to study Torah, to do mitzvot, and to be a shining light onto our families, friends, and neighbors. Store 17, it is fitting that all should gather together at one point in time to hear its words and for the voice to go out amongst the whole nation, men, women, and infants, to say, why have we all been gathered together? And the answer would be to hear the Torah, which is our entire essence. Source number 18. Although we do not fulfill this today, the objective of Hakel, we are obligated to do today to do. What's the objective? The objective is to reinforce our commitment to God Almighty and its Torah, that is present. That objective can be done today. And we can gather, even if we're not gathering the entire Jewish nation in the temple, wherever we are, we should make gatherings. This is a year, even though it was a one-time ceremony, but the entire year is called the year of Hakil, the year of gathering Jewish people, of inspiring each other, especially in groups, 
teach them some words of Torah. We can be the king, or you can be the queen. Read the Torah, teach them Torah, teach them something inspiring, and make a gathering. If you're having dinner, you're having a family event, you're having a party, get up and say, this year is Hakel. This year in Temple Times, it was a mitzvah. Read a few verses from the Bible where it talks about this, from the Torah. And inspire them with a Jewish message, a story, something inspiring to connect them to God Almighty. Continuing in 18, the Hakel year is an auspicious time to gather Jews for the purpose of learning Torah and encouraging each other to absorb, to observe more mitzvos. And now we're at the final section of today's lesson as we delve into one of the details of this mitzvah. We talked about the trumpets. You know what they say? What, which rock group has four men that can't sing? Mount Rushmore. That group. So, you don't have to know how to play a trumpet. All you gotta know is Aleph. You know one letter? Teach Aleph. Whatever we know, we can teach. We can be that Kohen. We can be that king. Now, we mentioned that it wasn't just the men. It wasn't just the women. It was the children, which is very unique because most mitzvahs, children are exempt from. Although there is something called chinuch education, we train them, and there's something very special about children doing mitzvahs as well, even though they're not obligated. Parents are obligated to educate them in the ways of the Torah, but... Generally, once a boy turns bar mitzvah and a girl turns bat mitzvah, then they are obligated. Yet hakel, this gathering, the Torah says, no, 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 no. Men, women, and children. The Torah says, tough. Tough is it, children. And most, I believe, are of the opinion, and not just children who are school-age children, but even infants, even young children. As long as it's not, as long as it's safe for them to be there. And travel from their homes. <clears throat> so why children? What would be the point of children being there? It's quite schleppy. Quite, quite um, harder to travel with children. They can make noise. Why is it so important? Why does Moshe, Moses on the last day of his life, make it, find it important to tell the Jewish people it's not just the men and the women. The children. Make sure every Jewish child is there. Hello, Bob. So there's a passage, there's a story in the Talmud. In the past, we've studied about Rabbi Yehoshua, great Talmudic, Mishnaic sage, lived about 2,000 years ago. Rabbi Yehoshua, Rabbi Yehoshua lived in Pekin, in Israel, Pekin. And two of his students came to visit him. Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Elazar. And he asked them, tell me, tell me something new. What have you heard in the house of study? They were studying by Rabbi Elazar. Rabbi Elazar. Excuse me. And they said the following teaching. It says, by Hakil to gather the men, the women, and the children, source 19, if men came to learn and women came to hear, why do the little ones come? What's the point? Why did the Torah say that the children should be there? So the rabbi in the house of study said, they relate to their teacher, they come in order to, for God to give a reward to those who bring them. If you bring your child, you get a reward. Rabbi Yeshua said to them, this good pearl of wisdom was in your hands. And you tried to conceal it from me? Because at first they were a bit apprehensive about teaching their teacher, sharing a message with the teacher. And he says, wow, this good pearl of wisdom was in your hands and you tried to conceal it from me? And the story is perplexing because, I mean, what's the pearl of wisdom? What's so wise about this? What does it even mean that... Why did the children come so we can give, God can give reward to the parents? I mean, what kind of reward are they getting? They get an Amazon gift card. What is the reward? And 
to give them a reward for bringing their child. But what's the point of bringing the child? Just to get a reward. So if I want to give you a reward, I can tell you to bring anything. I, say, I can say, bring your trumpet. I can say, bring your piano. Bring your rocks. You'll also get reward. If there's no inherent value in bringing the children, why would specifically the children need to be brought just to get a reward? What's this wisdom and... Um, why was Yeshua, why was Rabbi Yeshua so excited? So here's the answer. Here's one of the answers suggested by our great sages. Let's begin with the Abar Benal, great rabbi who was from the, from Spain or Portugal. He was exiled or expelled in the late 1300s or 1400s is it he says like this what's the reward it's not an Amazon gift card for the parents um, for bringing their children source number 20 the reward is the easement of the toil to raise them to be in awe of God and keep his mitzvahs due to the ingrained habituation of coming to Hakel and hearing the words of the Torah. The experience will have this will pave the smoothest path to a wholesome and complete human as he or she matures. It's not some disconnected reward, no. Parents have a hard job. We have to raise a child, raise children. To be upright, good people, and as a Jew, to be uh, following the path of the Torah. To be a proud Jew, study Torah, do the commandments. To be in awe of God. So when does that education begin? Says this passage in the Talmud, why does the Torah say to bring the children? To give the parents reward. What kind of reward? The reward is that if your child is going to be at Hakel, they're going to be part of this mass gathering of every Jew is inspiring, electrifying, being there in such a holy place with so many people all committed to the Torah, hearing the Torah being read by the king, re-experiencing somewhat Mount Sinai. That's really inspiring. And if the child will have a habit, even as a child, he's being part of this experience, the parents will be rewarded that when he gets older, their job of educating him in the ways of Torah will be easier. It will be more smooth. Because he, he, he had this from his youth. Already as a young child, he's experiencing this. Says the Barbanel, that's what it means, the reward. The reward is you'll have an easier time. You won't have to toil so much. Try teaching a child when he's 13. Oh, now let me teach you about God. <laughs> he experienced this, experienced this as a child. Source 21. Talmud tells us, the Jerusalem Talmud, that there was a certain Rabbi Dosa. And Rabbi Dosa saw Rabbi Yoshua. And he said, I remember, this Rabbi Yoshua was a great rabbi. He was the leader of the Jewish people at the time. He was a, a great uh, kind of statesman and, and um, real leader of the Jewish people during the difficult Roman times. And he said about Rabbi Yoshua, I remember that his mother used to bring his cradle to the synagogue so that his ears would cleave to the words of Torah. You know why he's so great, this Rabbi Yeshua? When he was a little baby, he was a toddler, a little infant, his mother would bring his carriage, would bring his cradle to the study hall, to the synagogue where, where there was prayers being recited, where Torah study was being discussed. And as a young child, his ears absorbed the holy words of Torah. That's why when he grew up, he had an easier time becoming the great rabbi that he was. So when Rabbi Yeshua hears this teaching of his students that they heard from the study house, that why were the children commanded by Moshe, by God, to be brought to the Hakel experience in order to reward his, their parents, giving them an easier time? Wow, Rabbi Yeshua says, what a pearl of wisdom. This is something personal to him. He was very happy. He now understood his mother's ways, the greatness of his mother. He probably thought his mother was off her rockers. Why are you bringing this little kid? Why was I brought to the synagogue? Why didn't I go play with my friends and play group? Or why didn't I, I don't know, just sit on the beach like other little kids were doing? Why did, was I in the study hall? 
Now he understood. And not just for him. This is a pearl of wisdom about education. When education starts, source 22. It must also be a great merit to bring children to the study hall, just like it was to be brought to the temple for Hakel. The hours Rabbi Yeshua spent in the Beit Midrash, base Midrash, which is the study hall, made him what he is. His immense love for the Torah, which he never let go of for a moment, is attributed to the hours of a newborn baby and toddler in the base Midrash. That had an impact. Education begins at a young age. Education starts when the baby is conceived. And now, 2,000 years later, come along the science, 3,300 years after the Torah was given, now the scientists now also understand that a child is impacted and whatever happens is impressed on the child even before in utero. It can hear, it can, it can diffuse different things can affect the child. The Torah told it to us about Hakel 3,300 years ago. Moses said on the last day of his life, make sure that young children, the infants, are there because that experience will ease the job of the parents to educate him in the ways of the Torah to be uh, in awe of God. And that is why in Jewish tradition, young children are very much part of Jewish life, of what they eat. And they're brought to, they're brought to, to, to do Jewish mitzvahs and so on. This impacts them. Source number 23. The children, in the last verse where the Torah describes Hakel, the children will learn to fear God all the days that you live on the land of Israel. Says the Or HaChaim, one of the commentaries, he says, when awe of God is instilled in children at an early age, it will last them all their lives. That's what the Torah says. He's just spelling it out for us. You want it to last. We've got to do our part. From a young age, we educate them to say, Baruch Hashem. And that has a lasting impact. And now we're at our final source. On this passage in the Talmud, the Talmud says, Talmud has Rashi. We have two commentaries basic on the Talmud. You have Rashi on the inside of the page and Tosafot, which is grandchildren of Rashi and other rabbis about 900 years ago who put their commentary on the Talmud. And he says like this, the Tosafot. Herein is the precedence to bring the little ones to synagogue. Go to any shul. You'll see children running around. Sometimes maybe it's a little noisy. And sometimes... They're running around, they're crying, they're this, they're that. But children are in show, and you would think they're praying in show. What are children doing in show? Children don't pray. Children don't study at young age. Why are they in the synagogue? Let it be only for adults. Says the Tosva 900 years ago. This story in the Talmud about Hakel, which Moshe commands the Jewish people from God, mitzvah number 612 on the last day of his life. Bring the children. That will impact them later in life. They need to be part of this experience. This is a soulful experience. Maybe their mind is not developed, but them being there has an impact. Just like every Jew was at Mount Sinai, Jewish children were at Hakel, and Jewish children should be brought to synagogue. Source 24 continuing, Hakel sets the foundations of Jewish education. Moshe meant to made a point of saying this in the last day of his life. Let me teach you. You want to have a continuity of the Jewish people. Start educating them. Bring them to synagogue. Bring them to Jewish holiday celebrations. Bring them to Jewish life. Experiences from a young age starts precisely when a child is not yet mature and does not yet understand every nuance. The soul, the core, the essence experiences and is shaped. And that is precisely, it's like wet cement when bringing them to synagogue, bringing them to a holy and Jewish experience is important. To such an extent it's important that this great, great gathering took place on the holiday of Sukkot. Not if it was Shabbos. If it was Shabbos, they would delay it to the next day because on Shabbos you can't carry. One of the reasons why it was delayed was because every child needed to be there. And we can't carry on Shabbos if there's no Eruv, there's no 
um, fence or string making an uh, enclosed area as we discussed in another lesson about arrows. So the children will have to miss out, those that can't walk. And even for young babies, two year, one-year-olds that can't walk, for them to be there, they would push up and delay this whole gathering so the children should be able to participate. That's how important it is. And I'll conclude with one short story how what a child hears at a young age could literally impact their lives forever. This story I heard personally from Rabbi Nissen Mangel. Actually, his son married my first cousin. Rabbi Nissen Mangel <clears throat> must be close to 90 or about 90, I would say. He's a practicing rabbi here in New York. If you use an English sitter, the ones that we have in our show, it was translated by him. He's a great, he's a great scholar. <clears throat> and he grew up in Czechoslovakia in the 1930s. And I believe, or Hungary. And in 1944, he was taken to Auschwitz with his family. He had a sister, parents, and without getting into all the details, he has a fascinating story, um, which he titles, uh, Where Was God in the Holocaust? And he says, God was with me <laughs> and other survivors. That's his story. Because he shows story after story, episode after episode, how miraculously he was saved. And he describes the death march. He's 10, 11 years old, or 12 years old. He's one of the only children... And the only reason why he was saved because he was used for medical exper uh, experiments, experimentation. And he's on the death march, and he describes how his foot is rubbing. You know, the, there's no skin left. There's uh, without getting into all the gory details, and he has no strength. Famous death march, which lasted for weeks or months, as the Allies advanced. The Germans took their prisoners deeper into Germany and they just walked all day, whatever the weather was, barely any food. He was so weak and emaciated after all these months and months that he decided he's just going to step out of the line. And if someone stepped out of the line, the Germans would just shoot them. And he turns to the guy next to him and he says, I'm ready to step out of line. Please remember the spot. Please you know, have me buried. And remember the day of my my death. You know that someone could say Kaddish for me, and just if you ever meet my sister or parents and they survived, just tell them. And suddenly, he says, he had a memory, he had a vision. As he's about to step out of the line, he remembers sitting at home with his parents. Later, his father almost survived the war. His father was, you know, killed because he help, was helping another, some other people. Uh, his mother survived and his sister survived. And uh, he has this vision. He's at the Shabbos table at his home. It's Friday night. And he's sitting with his family. He's a few years back. And his father is sharing a story with them. They would experience Shabbos at home, family time. And his father would share a story. And the story that his father shared was about a Jew that uh, was traveled to visit the Baal Shem Tov, the Holy Baal Shem Tov in Mezhibosh. And while he's visiting the Baal Shem Tov, he gets a message that his wife went into labor. You know, it would take a long time for people to travel, and maybe he was delayed or whatever it was. Maybe his wife went into labor early. And he went into the Baal Shem Tov and he says, what should I do? My wife is in labor. And the Baal Shem Tov tells him, go right home. Go travel immediately to be there. Help your wife. And he says, well, it's, it's dangerous. It's nighttime. It's, uh, the, the roads are, are dangerous at night. The, the forest, there's thieves, there's bandits. I can't go alone. The Baal Shem Tov turns to him and says, A Jew never walks alone. God is always with you. And suddenly at this moment, he's on the death march and he's about to step out of line and end his life. He remembers the story. 
that a Jew never walks alone. And if I'm walking here on the death mart, God is with me and he is supporting me and I'm going to survive and I'm going to rebuild after that we got saved and liberated. And that gave him the strength. He was filled with energy. And later he says, miraculously, some German soldier walked up to him a short time later and offered him some black coffee, which was unheard of. And every once in a while, this guy would come and give him some coffee and later mysteriously disappeared. And that is how he was filled with the energy to be able to continue on. And now he has a beautiful family. And what inspired him? A story that he heard in his youth. You can never underestimate the education that we give to young children. And not just when they're able to understand with their mind, even as a toddler, wet cement. And we need to make that impression of the Torah. Thank you for listening to Lunch and Learn number 176 about the unique mitzvah of Hakel, which takes place once in seven years. This year is a year of Hakel. It's a year of gathering and it is a time to make gatherings, to participate in gatherings, to inspire others, to Torah, even just party together. Make a party and take a couple of minutes and share some inspiring words of Torah. If you can take a moment to share this post, others can benefit as well. If you have any questions, feel free to put in the comments. If you enjoyed today's lesson, let us know and join us once again next week for another fascinating Torah lesson. You're very welcome. Thank you all for joining. And have a wonderful rest of your day.